Welcome to What Are We Singing? I'm your host, Trent Walker. I'm so glad you're joining me today. I hope you liked that episode last week where we talked about the song Praise. I had lots of good uh, feedback and follow-up on that. I didn't realize there were other YouTubers that had talked about it the same way, although I will plug this podcast and say people thought I was a little bit more gracious, which is good because the whole point of this thing is not to be a heresy hunter or a worship critic. I I have no desire to do that. The whole idea is really creating a space where we can all learn together. Pastor, worship leader, a a congregant, somebody just a listener that you have a deeper understanding of the word of God. Um, So, I mean, that's the whole goal. Today, we're going to talk about the song, Holy Forever. Uh, This has been so good. It's been fun to put together and really think deeply about the lyrics of the songs we're singing. For me, when I spend more time over a song, really thinking deeply about it, it just allows me to teach the word of God better. Um, And I like that. I mean, I love the, the... the discipline of being able to do that. Um, and I hope that other uh, pastors, worship leaders, and, and everybody everybody is able to grow better in learning these things. Because, I mean, there's no reason why we should be just simply singing another new song. I mean, those things kind of sound silly to me. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be the person that just becomes whomever the next hit song is. Like, I, I desire that my life means something more. And I know that even through a song like this, we'll find that we're part of a bigger story. I think that's really, really awesome. You know, when I was growing up, Delirious had a song, Martin Smith, had a song called, I Want to Be a History Maker. And it's like, I want to sing the song. I want to be a history maker in this land. Things like that. It's like, oh, there's something deep within the heart of humanity that says, I want my life to matter, you know? Um, and so when I sing the songs that I sing in church, I I want it to matter. I want it to deeply matter to me. I want it to make a difference. I want to feel connected to the gospel story. So I really think this song does that. Um, I hope you guys enjoy as we kick into it. Uh, let's just ask ourselves the question of what are we singing? Let's talk about the song Holy Forever by Chris Tomlin. Actually, it's Tomlin and Friends, and that's because the other writers are Jason Ingram, Brian and Jen Johnson, and Phil Wickham. Just like the song I dove into last week, this song is a powerhouse song. It's written by the Avengers of Christian music songwriters. Ingram produced a small little song called Reckless Love. The Johnsons are those holy rollers over at Bethel, and Phil Wickham, well, If Tomlin was Batman, then Wickham would be Robin. Just like the song, the writers here represent a few different Christian denominations which postures this song to be sung from the church globally. We'll get into showing how the lyrics do this as well. 30 years ago, Christian bookstores had a section devoted to spirit-filled teaching. Today, you'll be hard-pressed to even find a Christian bookstore still in operation. That's sad. 
I found it really interesting in my 20s as a worship leader that there were new worship movements growing on two different islands. One was what we see now as this evangelical side and the other on this spirit-filled side. Kind of like the divide between dispensationalists and covenant theology or Calvinists and Arminian, but not quite so confusing to the layperson. It was more like the Baptists seeing something cool happening over at the assembly's churches and saying, that's cool, we ought to do that too. Now, as far as worship music goes, it's all kind of meshed together. I remember back then a pastor saying to me that he didn't know how it was possible that someone could worship God and not be spirit-filled. And by that, he meant speaking in tongues. But today, we don't hear much about that anymore. I wrote a paper a few years ago in which I made the case that the Toronto Blessing was a definitive moment in history likened only to Azusa Street, in which spirit-filled Christianity became the dominant theology among Christianity. In that paper, I highlighted that leaders in the church, like John MacArthur and others, were calling the offshoots of this third-wave move of the Holy Spirit, ministries like the Toronto Airport Vineyard, a cult and divisive Christianity. Today, these kinds of Christians would be called New Apostolic, and the opposing Christians would be called Neo-Reformers. The MacArthur Neo-Reformers took such offense at this movement that they sought to keep the integrity of the Bible in their church services by keeping strange doctrines of the Holy Spirit, quote-unquote, out of their church services. In my paper, I used the worship music industry as an example of how these spirit-filled doctrines have seeped into the church anyway. The Spirit-filled church is the fastest-growing branch of Christianity across the world right now, especially in African and Latin American churches, according to some statistics. Now, I bring all that up because of the nature of this song that we're talking about today and whom its collaborators are. Holy Forever is an example of how even Christian writers from different denominations are coming together, almost like a council, and writing songs for the church, universal. It means that writers from spirit-filled backgrounds are influencing the doctrines of Christianity as the world steps further into the future. This includes the growing and thriving church outside of the borders of the United States of America, which, again, is largely Pentecostal. It's interesting to look at it that way, considering this new year that we're coming into. Today, I listened to a podcast hosted by a bunch of Christians that I thought I respected talk about how woefully horrendous this year is going to be because of the political landscape America is in. They spoke of how they were disappointed in the divide within the church across political lines and how they have not seen attendance come back to pre-pandemic levels. For one, they're not taking into account the church global and revivals happening all over the world. And for two, this podcast criticized the church for years and aligned themselves with a political agenda that attacked the institution for lack of fairness without giving any solutions besides going to a therapist. It's no surprise their prophetic claims are coming true in their own lives. Now, I'm not saying going to a therapist is a bad thing, but if that is the only solution we give, then what hope is the church exemplifying to the world? What I'm getting at is... Let's look at the things of God that point us to him and who he is. I, for one, am super grateful to see believers come together in unity and sing of an awesome God who transcends the reports and speculations of this world. We need that so much right now. 
especially when we hear any Christian with a microphone declare that their prophetic utterance of hopelessness over America. There's no denying we need a savior. Our nation needs hope for sure, and it definitely doesn't help to have a bunch of worthless podcasters, YouTubers, authors, and full-time Twitterers clamor to be the first ones to tell us how hopeless we are. These people should not be listened to. I have tempered myself enough to not say who they are on this podcast, but if you really want to know, just message me. No, what we need right now, more than anything, is to be reminded of how God does miracles and confounds the so-called wise. We need songs like this that we're going to sing in unity and remind ourselves of who our God is. I'm not saying to not listen to the news, but I'd rather listen to the news than listen to a so-called Christian leader share such hopelessness simply because of politics. Yuck! So as we begin this new year, let's dive into the song. I feel it brings a lot of unity. Lyrically, Holy Forever aims to place the listener worshiper within the grander story of the Christian church. Lyrics like A Thousand Generations and All Who've Gone Before Us point us to the Hebrews 11's Hall of Fame of Faith. And I'll add that I think we're missing so much if we fail to include so many people like Polycarp, Irenaeus, Origen, Augustine, Leo, Mansur, Benedict, Wycliffe, Luther, Wesley, Finney, Palmer, Bonhoeffer, and so many others that may be not be in our own line of doctrine. And it's also reasons like this that we maybe ought to know more about what we believe. The first time I heard this song was last spring, and I was playing electric guitar on the worship team. I admit that my cynical side flared up, and I thought, ugh, another worship song that someone told ChatGPT to write a worship song with the word holy in it. I know, I know, I'm really bad, and I have to fight off my cynical side all the time. But for me, it caused me to look deeper into what the song is all about. And though that cynicism might cause me to not want to jump on the bandwagon of the song right away, I can't deny that statistics show that so many churches are singing this song. It's literally skyrocketed in the charts this year. It's simple to sing, easy to play, and it's got some great unassuming theological depth to it. I guess to say that I think for some as simple as this song is, it would be very wrong of us to not know some of the history of what we've been a part of, for good and bad. And for that, I think the song is a wonderful new song to be singing. Question one, where is this song found in scripture? This song references Revelation 4, 8 through 11, where the apostle John sees angels and the 24 elders around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And for leading the church or leading this song in the church, this would be a great passage to reference and read along with this song. But this passage has to mean something to people. Otherwise, it's just a Bible verse that we read that shows us a bunch of angelic beings sometime way in the future that look, in my imagination, like the great ones in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I wouldn't know how to relate to it. What about the other part I mentioned earlier? Do you find it interesting that the name of Jesus isn't mentioned here? The chorus says your name all over the place, but we didn't actually say the name. How do you feel about this? It does say sing the song of ages to the lamb, the name used when speaking of Jesus, but with all the fanfare of this pre-chorus, why leave out the name of Jesus? Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name 
under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Like Peter, we ought to not just assume people know of whom we're speaking of in this song. In the verse right before that, Peter says it's Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb, when Jesus came to get baptized. But how in the world are people supposed to know this? I actually love to take these opportunities as a leader to teach the Word of God. But again, this may be my shameless plug for my new course called Worship with the Word, where I teach people to connect with the Bible again through worship. Rather than being content to sing a song about the Lamb of God and not really knowing what that's all about, I want to know God. I want to hear His voice. And He tells us so much in His Word. What Are We Singing is a listener-supported podcast. It's a ministry of Trent and Siobhan Ministries where we teach and train the worshiper and the musicianary. We are so thankful for your support, especially as we come into this new year of 2024 where we are launching some really new projects, specifically under the branch called Worship with the Word. Within this project is new song releases, online courses, and seminars in our hopes to one day start a school around the worshiper and the musicianary, teaching them the word of God. We're so excited about this. This month, specifically, we have a new single coming out soon called Like Eagles, based on Isaiah 40. But we couldn't do it without you. Your support is so crucial, especially in a time as we're building something new. We need all the prayer and all the help we can get. If you would like to know more, you can follow worshipwiththeword.com or go to trentandshavon.com to contribute. Every little bit counts. Thank you all so, so much. Here's an interesting factoid. Late in the 7th century, the Agnus Dei, Latin for Lamb of God, was actually a description given to the part of the church services that included a chant or melodies associated with communion, the breaking of bread. Have you ever asked the question, when did this thing we do of singing before the preaching starts begin? Depending on your church or religious background, you may want to know why you do what you do. And sometimes I like to know these things myself. Have you ever heard the story of the husband that watched his wife cut the ham in half before she put in the crock pot to make for dinner? He asked, why do you do that? And she responded, you know, I really don't know. My mother always did that. Did it. My mother always did it that way. So they called mom and asked, mom, why do you cut the ham in half before putting it in the crock pot? And she then replied, um, I have no idea. I hadn't really ever thought of why I do that, except it's just something my mother did. So they called grandma and asked her the same question, to which she replied, I have no idea why you all cut the ham in half, but I've always done it because my crock pot was too small to fit a whole ham in it. <laughs> that story explains it so well. It's the whole reason why I felt to do a podcast like this. I love the great feels I get when I sing a great worship song in the presence of community of other believers, but feels wear off, and I want to know what it is that's coming out of my mouth. We're given an encouragement from the Lord to worship Him in spirit and in truth, heart, soul, strength, and mind. I want to know. The Lamb of God spoken of by John the Baptist is a reference to the innocence and purity of Jesus and ultimately His sacrifice on the cross. 
the sacrificial lamb of God was John declaring that final and last sacrifice needed to take away the sins of the people. A song like this literally tosses up an easy pass for anyone to make a slam dunk on the gospel story of salvation. Here's another sneaky unity line in this song that references the name of Jesus. If you bear his name, Christian, that means Christian Orthodox, Coptic Christian, Christendom, kind of the word used in the history of the Catholic Church. How about the new descriptors that I see today of Christian nationalist and progressive Christian? Sidebar, I strongly dislike both of these names, and I don't want to be associated with either of them. Singing a song of worship to God carries the reality that unifying words are more palatable, easy to sing without triggers that cause division. So, is that what the writers of the song did? Did they specifically not use the name of Jesus because it divides? Hmm. Question two. Why are we singing this song? Can we worship God without Jesus? In this song, we're saying he is holy forever. This references the pure spotless lamb. Holy means set apart, pure, undefiled, ultimately good. Lots of religions believe that God is an ultimate good and agree with a holy God. But what we forget to understand is that we are not. We are fallen and we need a savior. His name is Jesus, Yeshua. And that's important that we deeply understand we cannot have unity without a savior. We tried it before. It was called the Tower of Babel. It didn't work. Does this song point you to Jesus? I think so. In fact, I think it employs a tactic that I tend to like to use, that it begs me to want to finish the sentence. I used to teach a class called Band Dynamics. The way I would always start the class was not to say, okay, class, let's begin. No, I would walk over to the piano and play an octave scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. But I wouldn't play the do or the eighth note. I would just simply stop at seven. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. And then I would wait. And then I would do it again as the crowd started to die down. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. The dissonance created inside people is really hard not to want to finish that note. Everyone would sing the last note, do, singing that class was starting. Question three. What are we hoping to accomplish in this song? What's the outcome? Is it just to have a good theological time and check off that box? What if I suggested a few more questions considering that we are singing words that have their meaning and understanding in Hebrew texts like Lamb of God? Think about the current state of our nation and Christianity today. Is our faith one that is void of Israel? Is it good for us to be leading and singing songs with things in them that we don't know or don't understand? Do you have the capacity to help people understand? Here's what I'd recommend. Think about reinforcing the name of Jesus, Yeshua, before or after this song. He is salvation. He is God. He is alive. Use the word of God. Memorize and speak Acts 4, 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, 
which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Don't simply sing this song without taking a moment to point people to the depth of the word of God. This can be done so simply by getting people to speak, Acts 4.12. Have them repeat it after you. I like this song. It's simple, singable. But if I were in a position to lead this song, I wouldn't, unless I knew I could have a moment to reinforce the name of Jesus. Am I advocating for us not to sing this song? No. I want us to understand the Word of God more and have the confidence to really know what it is that we believe. I'd even suggest following up this song with a song that speaks the name of Jesus. As with every What Are We Singing song dive, I've included my suggested song list for your church with scripture guides and talking points to lead your congregation or small group as a free, easy-to-read PDF available at worshipwiththeword.com. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of What Are We Singing? If you like what you're hearing, send me a note on any songs you're curious about. I'd love to hear feedback from you. Tune in next week as I interview a friend and a mentor of mine who has some interesting things to say about the words of worship, praise, and hallelujah. Am I the only one that wonders why worship music seems to target hip and cool young people who are bringing us songs that aren't that great? It makes me want to ask the question, what are we singing?